It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born Hello, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. We are back, as always, at a shared universe studio here in Eatontown, New Jersey. Mike and Ming, you guys take great care of us. Thank you so much. Mike and Ming also agreed to be on the show, Risa. Uh, very well, they're coming on the show, is what I should say. I'm going to be excited to have those guys on here because we have a limited time window here until April 7th when South Beach Larry goes back <laughs> down to Florida. <laughs> Right. We only got him back for two episodes? Yeah, he's up. Well, we're going to do a couple more before he leaves. Okay. But, um, of course, uh, if you're a regular listener, clock's you know ticking, that. dude. The clock's ticking. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a regular listener, you can identify that voice. Behind the ones and twos, as always, our sound engineer and producer, uh, my pal, Big Kahuna. How are you feeling, bud? I'm good, man. I'm excited to be here. Oh, always yeah. am. Oh, I know we'll have a good episode of American Loser. And uh, what we like to do is uh, you're here in order to ensure that I am not bullied by uh, the meanest girl in New Jersey. Kerry Burke returns. Oh, that's to the not show. my job. <laughs> that's a that's like an extra ten dollars for the session. Yeah, <laughs> that's been my job for I don't know how long. Now. Yeah, we can set up Facebook Live, or we can get Kerry to stop beating me into submission. So, Kerry Burke, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Welcome. Thanks for coming by. I know it's it's during the week right now. We're doing this one on a short turnaround. Yeah. So last time we were all here together. Uh, sombreros, tequila, Getting vodka, drunk. cousins, uh, kilts. Snowstorm. Yeah, lots of good stuff on that yeah. one. It was a crazy <laughs> mixture of cultures last episode. Uh, we've certainly. We're a certainly. hodgepodge, as one might call it. Uh, but back in studio, Melting of course, uh, Larry yeah. Burke is here as well. Uh, LP, how you doing, you dope uh, of a dad? Uh, I'm just doing wonderful, wonderful here. Doing any better, I'd have to be twins. Uh, I was a little concerned recently because uh, I found out that um, uh, someone was going to come on the show. I won't say their name. And then I said, yeah, uh, that'll be great because my father's going to be down uh, in Florida still for April, so you'll be a great fill-in guest. And they go, so I don't get to meet the Delph of a dad. <laughs> but, yeah. you're, the, you're the main attraction besides me. <laughs> That's it. He That's is. It. And, uh, but, guys, uh, if you're a regular listener to the show, you guys know what we're doing here. Uh, we like to tell fascinating stories of the biggest losers in American history. Now, this guy, we do have um, – Firm second placers. Yeah, essentially. And uh, what's great, too, about it is that uh, I love the barometer we've put on this one, uh, Kahuna, where you have the, the losers that you're sensitive about, where you're like, you know what, I can actually understand that. Maybe this guy just got a bad break. Yeah. And then there's other people who are like, you are one pathetic loser. <laughs> you are one That's pathetic right. Charles Guiteau. LaHoo. I take that, Kahuna, that he is still your... T- yeah, lowest of High the low. Of, like, of the lowest of the lowest. We've met some low people on this show, but, <laughs> yeah. like, he set the bar... Down right there. now, he's in running for right. the trophy. Right. <laughs> yeah. He is, uh, and it's uh, it's appropriate too because there is a March Madness thing. So uh, I've debated trying to do a tournament of the losers, if you will, from some of our other episodes. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> we accidentally, by the way, I want to just mention a little uh, milestone here. We are now over eight thousand total listens on uh, SoundCloud and iTunes, all those other uh, products that we have here. So the show's continuing to grow. Thank you, everybody who does listen. Uh, everybody, who, you know, uh, the, the regulars too. We've got a ton of regulars, man. So I can't thank all of them here in this episode. But specifically, if you've left us a review on iTunes. I've read all of them. Sometimes they're really nice. Sometimes they're not. Um, but 
It is. Haven't you only gotten like one incredibly negative one? No, we had a. They didn't leave reviews. They just wrote. uh, We got a two star and a three star review, and I was like, you know what, three star? You're probably right. You just want me to work for it harder. You know what I mean? It's it's how I treat a pretty girl at the bar when she ignores me. I'm like, all right, so I got to up my game. (laughs) The two star was mine. That's a probably yeah. If only you had a game. My one star didn't go through. Yeah, it wouldn't let me do the one star. Well, uh, last uh, time we were all together, it was uh, for the Pancho Villa episode, which I thought was a very fun episode. We had the the cousins on. We were uh, enjoying a couple of drinks here. Larry Burke, you were wearing a kilt because you play in a bagpipe band. Yeah, we just came from a parade, so in order to get here on time, uh, we came in full battle array. Well, today I am you covered came, in... You uh, came, kicked ass. <laughs> <laughs> today I'm covered in uh, uh, dirt and concrete dust because I came right from my job doing excavation because comedy's not going good. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, my point is this. What was that voice? Was it like a... It sounded like a trying to be Yoda, but then it just kind of gave up. Kinda. I, I abandoned it. It was halfway through Grover from uh, Sesame Street. Okay. I, failed, I thought he was finally hitting puberty. <laughs> there you go. He's going to start going out with girls next week. Right. <laughs> well, uh, yet another thing Carrie beat me to, right? <laughs> Great joke because Carrie's gay, so I'm allowed little, to say sibling. <laughs> And the sibling rivalry continues. Uh, that Will it ever funny. stop? No. <laughs> Never. I, I would yeah, be no, uncomfortable no, if yeah. you guys didn't roast each other. I, uh, I, I'm enjoying our witty banter here up front, but Carrie does have to get off to work. So I want to dive into our topic here real quick. We've got a fascinating one here I'm pretty excited about. Um, so just a, a little a history here for you. Kahuna, I don't know if you know this. Um, I am an Eagle Scout. You are. I am an Eagle Scout. Okay. I am an underachieving Eagle Scout. <laughs> okay, because that's a marker for success most often. To, uh, if you're an Eagle Scout, they tend to think you have your shit together. <laughs> as my father said, we fooled him again. <laughs> so, uh, now, guess who my Scoutmaster was uh, for uh, my entire – pretty much my entire scouting career, Kahuna? Yep. I'm, uh, I'm pointing right at him, aren't yeah. I? Lawrence <laughs> it's Patrick the... Burke. So – he was the uh, now he had a weird tradition here that I, I think uh, were you in the scouts at all Cahoons? Nah, I was no. never into that stuff really. No, I hear you know what it was. Uh, we grew up camping as a family. Carry on. I don't do, I, was I, don't say, do I, don't, I don't think that was just a, a scouting tradition. I think that was a general war cry tradition. My <laughs> people have seen way too many horror movies. We Rally stay away from woods. We. I, I don't blame you. Yeah. Um, now, we grew up uh, camping all the time, which I loved on family vacation. So when scouting kind of came around, they're like, oh, yeah, you get to go camping once a month, too. And I was like, I love camping, so let's go do it. Now, uh, when my father became the scoutmaster, he started bringing this little tradition out um, where every uh, Sunday morning when it was time to wake up, uh, and, and all my friends, my buddies, uh, uh, listeners of the show still to this day, some of my oldest friends, will tell you that uh, nothing was worse on a quiet Sunday morning <laughs> Than to suddenly start to hear the sound of... Let me guess, uh, bagpipes? <laughs> bagpipes were involved, and a tin whistle, and uh, some other... Uh, it, pretty much my father would wake us up every Sunday morning from camping trips, whether we were whitewater rafting, anything like that, to uh, uh, one song in particular by an artist by the name of David Kincaid. And it's not his song, it's a tribute that he's doing to an old marching song of the Irish Brigade. Uh I believe the song is called The Song of the Fighting 69th. Is that correct? Or The, uh, the Irish Volunteers. The Irish Volunteers. It was a, re- a recruiting song from the American Civil War that uh, uh, this guy has reenacted, if you will. And uh, it's a, a definitely uh, hard driving, drinking, rally the boys. But So that would be your wake-up call? That was the wake-up call. Back in the, <laughs> back in the days at a boombox that uh, oh, we'd go around the campsite and 
to each tent. And whoever oh, was uh, whoever had annoyed him the most the night before would be. Uh, they would have the boombox placed right behind their head in their tent. <laughs> so, so you got that boombox behind your head often. Uh, it happened, but uh, when you're the scoutmaster's son, uh, he's annoyed with you, but he's not as annoyed as he could be. <laughs> so, we've got uh, an interesting guy now. One of the guys they talk about in that song. This is a true life figure here. The guy we're going to talk about today uh, for St. Patrick's Day. I thought it was only appropriate that we talk about a guy by the name of Thomas Francis Maher. Okay. Now, my own accent's coming out a little bit on that. What's the correct pronunciation of his last Mar. name? Mar. 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 It, it sounds like someone got lazy there. It's Drunk or something. Mar. <laughs> There's a cat sound to it. You know what I mean? But um, what were you saying, LP? It's, uh, it's spelled M-E-A-G-H-E-R, but it's pronounced Mar. Yeah, for this particular. So you got to roll your R's and stretch your A's. Well, if uh, what's the line that if you roll your R's uh, too far, you're not Irish or right. Scottish? Yeah, if you roll your R's and stretch your A's a bit too much, you're not Irish or Scottish. It's <laughs> 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 we were talking about on the ride down, too, is that uh, the, the piker accent from the movie uh, Snatch, when Brad Pitt is playing the Irish gypsy. You like dags? Oh, dogs. Yeah, I like dogs. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, this guy's absolutely fascinating. He is uh, one of the focal points. Of the uh, the song of the Irish Brigade, if you will, the uh, the Irish Volunteers song, uh, but to be a globe trotter nowadays is still an impressive thing, man. To be a globe trotter in the 1800s is pretty much mind blowing. This guy's story. This is one guy born on a little island called Ireland. Okay, right off the coast of Britain, in a time where most people lived and died within 90 miles of where they were born. Certain people just couldn't seem to stay in one place for an extended period of time. Enter this week's American loser, the import from Ireland, a temporary resident of the Australian penal colonies in Tasmania, and later infamous New Yorker, winds up being governor of Montana. This guy's got an interesting life here, okay? Now, you think we're giving away the story right now? We're not. It gets even weirder as it goes. Welcome, uh, everyone, to uh, this week's American loser, Thomas Francis Maher. Carrie, have you ever heard of this guy before? I'll get it wrong the whole episode. <laughs> I, I already popped the top on a beer. I haven't slept. Any. I finished this episode at about 7 a.m. this morning when uh, uh, I was still recovering from the news of the Giants trading Odell Beckham Jr. So He got better last week with tequila. Maybe Jameson will help him this week. There you go. It's oh. all... If only we had Jameson. Ming, are you listening? Uh, we need Jameson in the studio, please, sir. That's right. Uh, now, Maher is an interesting guy here because uh, he would become the famed leader of the legendary New York 69th, also known as the what brigade? Karen? Irish Brigade. The Irish Brigade. Fighting, fighting 69th. Exactly. Now, Kahuna is uh, – he's actually working on stuff right now. He's actually also Irish too. So this is his month just as much as anybody else's here. <laughs> um, Maher's father oh, was – Oh, oh And Kahuna just came up with the Jameson. <laughs> Ask and you shall receive. And yeah. not just Jameson but caskmates. I mean he's uh, – he's got some of the – the stuff. smoother stuff. Ming is about to crash through the window of this place. <laughs> right, right. Not the personal stash. <laughs> but uh, so now this one's interesting here. So Carrie, uh, we come from a big family, right? Especially on yes. the Irish side, lots of cousins. We're out of names. All right. <laughs> that's, right. You, that's why they've been recycling them, actually. Well, I am noticing the recycling of the names now here. Uh, you want to talk about um, – there, there's a little innovation here. When you say recycling names, you're talking about um, Uncle Terry, and Uncle Terry has a grandson named Tiernan, right? Talking a little bit about that? A little bit. I was talking more about Patrick. Patrick pops up a lot here. Now, my middle name's Patrick. Dad's middle name is Patrick. Now, imagine my if you My father's were, middle name was Patrick. Which I love. It's and his father before him was a Patrick. So, I mean, yeah, it goes back for a the way. The Patricks, the Francis's, Matthew, yeah. Michael. 
I mean, the Greeks have their Nick, Nicholas. The so, I mean, the Irish have their Pats, Pat, <laughs> Michaels, whatever. Well, very much stereotypes here. Now, imagine being so uncreative uh, and the complete lack of innovation to be named Thomas Maher, whose father was Thomas Maher, whose grandfather was Thomas Maher. And so Thomas Maher, we're talking about, has a son. What's he going to name him? I'm going to go with Thomas Maher. <laughs> yep. So that's how uh, unimpressive they are here. Uh, Maher would become the uh, that famed leader of the uh, the Irish Brigade like we talked about, but he was born August 3rd, 1823 in Waterford City, Ireland. What comes from Waterford, Kerry? Crystals. You know it. So uh, Kerry's fiance, a lovely girl named Crystal, who we love very much, but uh, this is a different type of crystal. Uh, <laughs> at the Burke household, actually, over the dining room table is the chandelier made its Waterford crystal Waterford from crystal. Ireland. Yep. Right? Yep. And uh, you and that chandelier are the only Irish things allowed in the house, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it gets interesting here because uh, Maher's father is a retired merchant. He had done quite well for himself. Uh, now, the Waterford is part of Munster County in Ireland, too, by the way, just to give you – if anybody's looking for you know what part of Ireland this is taking place in here for the early part of the story um, – just for the record, too, the Burks, uh, which is uh, my – you guys, you know, uh, the, the family I identify with, you know, uh, is the uh, – you guys are from Galway, correct? Cork, Clare, Galway, yep. Now, that's on the um, the west coast of west. Ireland. Yeah. Now, we found out recently that I'm actually – I don't even know if I should say this on the podcast, but whatever. My, my name I, – uh, had I not been adopted, I would have been uh, McLeod, and I would have been from Northern Ireland, which is hilarious because uh, – as Uncle Bobby would say, um, if you can't beat them, join them. So. <laughs> but that's how that one worked out. Now, uh, what's amusing here is, as we said, he's born uh, in Munster County in Ireland, but Maher's, uh, Maher's father was a retired merchant, and he had done so well for himself with the shipping business that when he retired, uh, and he got free time, he got a lot of money, um, you want to have a little bit more influence, typically you get into politics. So Maher's father had lived uh, in Waterford City since he was a young man. He returned to Ireland from Newfoundland, Canada. All right, you know what they call people from Newfoundland? Newfies. Newfies. All right. Now, uh, <laughs> Newfoundland also being an interesting—it's uh, the only province in Canada that is a majority Irish at the time frame too. So, uh, Canada's got some fun stuff going on over there. Pretty cool uh, neighbor to have north of the border, if you will. Yeah. Well, the guy that we're talking about today—it was actually his grandfather that left Ireland, went to Newfoundland, mm -hmm. and started up a—you know—a business there, and then got into shipping, uh, and they were. Um, shipping magnets, if you will, in between Newfoundland and Waterford. And then uh, the business kept growing and growing. And then Thomas Francis's grandfather... See where it gets confusing ...then <laughs> had his son, Thomas Francis, come back to Waterford, come back to Ireland. So he's got his son in Waterford on the Irish side of the shipping lanes, and he was stayed over in Newfoundland to uh, handle things in Newfoundland. And then... Thomas Francis II has a kid. Thomas Francis really, I guess, would be the third. Maybe for point. brevity's sake, we'll call him T3 for T the rest of the episode. TFM3. Call him Trey. Yeah, Trey. <laughs> Trip. Yeah, Trip. Hey, a little shout out to you there, Dr. Schweigs. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, they, they, it, it's definitely they made out. Uh, it was an Irish, uh, it was a Catholic family, uh, became rather well to do um to the point where now that he's his his fa his father is uh looking to retire kind of a thing and but gets involved with with politics which is a, a very interesting take for the time because 
Well, we'll we'll get we'll unpack it as we get into the episode. He was a pretty deeper. popular guy. He actually serves as the first Irish Catholic mayor of Waterford City uh, since the penal laws. Which brings me to my next point, Lawrence Patrick Burke. What the fuck are the penal laws? Yeah, it's, it's not the it's not the a law on your penis, um, if that's what you're thinking, Kev. But that's uh, uh, a rule of thumb <laughs> you're thinking of. It's just a good joke, guys. No way around that one. Sorry. Um, the penal laws in Ireland. It wasn't just one particular law. It was a series of laws, and you're starting to get into. Uh, Irish English history here, but well, they don't get along good, from what I understand. No, no, it wasn't. Uh, it was uh, discrimination on a whole new level. So um, it's uh, almost the Hatfields and the McCoys. It's, um, it's beyond that. But the Carries and the Kevins. The, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, but with countries. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, now I guess really it it starts with uh, Henry the Eighth, um, who wants a divorce, goes to the Pope. Um, seeking this divorce from his wife so that he can marry his, his next wife. Uh, Henry VIII had a bunch of them. Um, the uh, Pope denies his request, so then Henry VIII decides, well, screw you, I'm no longer going to be Catholic. I'm going to start my own church, and I'm going to be the, the head of my own church. Now you start to mix in the whole Reformation, um, the English Reformation, um, and then there's, I mean, the wars, the, the lives that were lost over this whole religious battle back and forth, uh, it, can, it goes on and on for, for centuries. Um, yeah, England, little fucked up over there. Yeah, it was, it was beyond, beyond no, effed up. But fascinating history, one of the greatest histories ever. And let's be honest, hot accent, okay? <laughs> it's a very attractive accent. But. I'm not proud of it, but I, I actually changed the voice of my my phone for it to be british <laughs> <laughs> i've heard i've heard that done with the gps uh, yeah system, that's what uh, i have right, okay there you go take a right on <laughs> right on westshire road that makes you feel um because we, we do associate them with uh being very smart and there, there's a lot of amazing things when you think about the way that england impacted the world at the way they do this little you know again uh, england itself another island just a bigger island than ireland but uh, the impact they've had globally, just because they had a great system of organization, makes them pretty remarkable, but at the same time capable of some pretty bad stuff. Yeah, well, getting back to this whole uh, – the, what you asked uh, originally was the, the penal laws. This is not just a one law. It was a series of laws over you know, a long period of time. But basically the, the back and forth, uh, the fighting between what you know very loosely became to the Catholic to the Protestant side – uh, there was a major battle, the Battle of the Boyne, where uh, James I, who was Catholic, is fighting against William of Orange, who was Protestant. William of Orange wins. He wins the Battle of the Boyne. Um, and then to try to continue to put down the Catholic that, that they might never, ever again um, rise up against uh, English rule, um, a, a whole series of laws are enacted. And little things like if you were Catholic, you couldn't hold public office. There was a ban of intermarriage between Protestants and Catholics. Well, that's just good sense. And it wasn't just <laughs> Catholics, though, too. <laughs> it wasn't just Catholics. It was also Presbyterians because they were not part of the Anglican Church or the Church of England or the Church of Ireland. Church. Now, where were these in effect again? Sorry. Where? Yeah, just in general. Like 
Loki- England and England and Ireland. Well, Great okay. Britain. Great Britain. Yeah, just uh, the cliff notes on this one is that uh, when Henry placed himself at uh, the head of the Church of England, uh, that caused a major fracture with the Pope. Now, back in the day, the Pope is just is literally a, a wizard king, you know, over in the Vatican that uh, has the this, early Grand Wizard. Has, yeah, that has this allegiance uh, of all the people uh, that, that follow him and has the ears of them. It still does to this day. But um, that was always a thing that concerned them because the uh, the, the Irish tended to uh, have a very fond opinion of being Catholic, you know, because that was their religion for the, the most part. They're, they're, don't get me wrong; there was Protestant Irish there as well. But that's where you try to get these two groups coming together. And when two people have uh, occasionally, not even necessarily like polarizingly different ideas, just slightly different ideas on a lot of stuff, it leads to a lot of bloodshed. Yeah, well, when your king is telling you that, hey, you're no longer Catholic because I decided that I'm going to become, uh, you know, go and start my own church. And if you don't belong to this church, you're out. You're nothing. You, you're really a non-existent person. Uh, and that wasn't You're just, on my team or you're a bench warmer. You're, you're not even in the stadium. Um, uh, and it wasn't, again, just Catholic. If you're a Presbyterian, um, you were a, non, a non-entity as well. Presbyterian marriages were not legally recognized by the, by the state. Uh, Catholics were barred from holding firearms or serving in the armed for- forces. Uh, they were barred membership of, of either parliament, the Parliament of Ireland or the Parliament of England. Um, exclusion uh, from legal professions. So you couldn't be a judge, you couldn't be a lawyer. Um, there was a ban on uh, education that you were actually um, uh, Catholics were uh, were barred from entering Trinity College. Um, Trinity also, by the way, being the only university. The only university in the entire island at the time. So you build one thing and then you tell the people that it's built in front of, oh, by the way, you can't ever come in here. Right, right. (laughs) You're not allowed. Um, On the death by a Catholic, his uh, beneficiaries must be uh, convert to the Church of Ireland because if they didn't, um, there was um, uh, inheritances on that. If Catholics inherited land, um, they were to be equally divided between all the owners' sons, the sons, not the females, but just the sons, except if the eldest son decided that he's no longer going to be Catholic and is going to go over to the, to the Church of, uh, um, of England or become a Protestant, if he converts... Then he gets it all. So that might have caused a, a, a few a few interfamily strife, wow. <laughs> right? Right. Um, uh, real this, awkward uh, Christmas. I went to a right. Protestant's, uh, you know, religious observance the other day, guys, and I got to tell you, now that Dad's gone, <laughs> right. I really appreciate the way they look at things. <laughs> yeah, uh, Roman Catholic priests had to register with the. Uh, with the uh, with the crown, in order to be um, not to be killed, actually, or uh, just to go on, they weren't allowed to build any schools. They weren't allowed to build any churches. So they just got used to signing up on registries over yeah. time. Then too. and you weren't allowed to own land, and in, in order to vote, you had to own land. But first of all, if you were a Catholic, you couldn't vote. Secondly, you had to own property in order to vote. So there's strike too. It's that you were just again just a, a complete non. You're just shit out of luck if yeah, you right. happen to be a Catholic. That's, ba- oh that's basically God. it. In a nutshell, too, they've also done so much to to try to squash the culture in Ireland that they essentially made it uh, illegal to be Irish. You had to pretty much get rid of a lot of your customs, everything. Like there was a thing called the uh, Statutes of Kilkenny 
that pretty much uh, outlawed a lot of tradition and stuff like that. Not a great time to be over here. Uh, now Did Ireland they try to outlaw bagpipes. Uh, that's a true story, too. Yeah. Uh, this, what? This, yeah. I was saying that as a joke. No, that was. I, I know you were. This one's going to make you laugh a little bit. So, uh, you know, golf britches, the, the stupid um, old school golf britches. With yeah, the, the, the giant baggy pants, right? Um, yeah. That, a lot of that came from that uh, they weren't allowed to wear kilts, so they would put a stitch in between the pants to make it not a kilt. A single stitch, right. It's not a kilt now, it's, it's pants. Now the other one that, that was, was more in, in Scotland than in Ireland, right. but uh, it was the same the same, same concept, the same, same concept, right? It's actually Absolutely. pretty smart. Though. Well, now the uh, the bagpipes itself, there's a difference between uh, uh, we'll call them the Ilian pipes and the Highland pipes, correct? Right. right. Now what you march with when you're going down the streets in the parades is the Highland pipes, the war pipes, correct? Right? Which were made illegal. So the counter move was to make the Ilian pipes, which is a bag that fills. You fill the bag ahead of time, then you wrap it around your uh, uh, side. You're, right? you're, actually, it's an sitting instrument down. that has to be played sitting down. Instead of blowing into the blow stick or the the mouthpiece, if you will, now you're putting the air in the bag with a bellows under your under your elbow. <laughs> Last um, question I have b- before we get back on the topic: How difficult is it to learn? bagpipes in general like how did you learn if you can rub your stomach and pat your head at the same time it's a cinch he learned over about what 40 years <laughs> it's i'm still working took, on took it. him about 40 years Are you i'm still serious? working on it still working absolutely <laughs> it absolutely. took me about two weeks actually while we're on the topic of music here there was a, a form of music that was formed in the highlands in scotland called mouth music because to play scottish instruments was outlawed so then People learned with their mouth to kind of assimilate the same kind of noise that would come out of oh, the Oh, early beatboxing. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Or, Absolutely. Or is it closer to throat singing? Um, uh, <laughs> we were the first hip-hop artists. A word. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was illegal to play the instrument, so now we're just going to try to replicate the sound that came from that instrument by using our mouth. Oh, my God. Right. So. Isn't that touched on in Braveheart, outlawed pipes, outlawed right. tunes on outlawed pipes? Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. That's the line. So the point is these people just don't get along, Kahuna. That's what we're trying to say here. Now, um, it gets fascinating very quickly. And I know I say that all the time, but I do believe all of these losers we look into are fascinating. Ireland's always had this tumultuous relationship with England and an independence movement. Now, these keep popping up all the time. When you, like, check out American history – that's what I first got obsessed with was American history. You hear about the American Revolution. You say, okay, so it worked, right? And they're like, yeah, it worked. Then you go into Ireland, and then they have these revolutions that fail all the time. And like, oh, because oh, well, they were drunk. Uh, well, had a uh, that's, that's a stereotype. Yeah, Carrie, it's very <laughs> offensive. We're going to get letters now. Um, but you just no. had to ruin it. We were doing <laughs> so good. You're right. We weren't pissing anybody off until you had to go and say that. You're right? welcome. But they're always trying to pull this fast one here because they got these problems with the way that England is handling them. Now, uh, this is where our boy uh, Thomas Francis Maher, uh, this is the time period that he's living in. This is his zeitgeist, if you will, which just means the spirit of the times. So the independence movement is at a near fever pitch during his days. Thomas is educated in Roman Catholic boarding schools because his father had some money. You were allowed to be able to – if you worked around the system, you could get him into these Roman Catholic boarding schools. Because there were no Catholic schools um, available publicly that um, Mm -hmm. you had to probably send your kids um, over to the continent to get educated. But there were a few – on on the island that uh, if you had enough money, you could make that happen. Well, uh, when he was age 11, he was sent to the Jesuits for education in County Kildare. Um, now, Dad, real quick, very, very briefly, just for people who aren't familiar, what are Jesuits? 
uh, Jesuits are an order within the Catholic Church that are um, educators, uh, doctor. I mean, it's, they're they're um, highly educated, uh, very. Um, they've been they've been accredited or or called the Pope's Green Beret. That if you got a you got a nasty situation, you're going to send in the Jesuits to to uh, help things out. And um, El Salvador was uh, one where some Jesuits were killed uh, in more recent times, but. Um, um, they're taking names. Scholarly taking people is what we're trying yeah, to oh, say. Absolutely. So yeah. these are scholarly. That's a good group of people to have Physicians. your education come from because yep. these are well-read people. Uh, keep in mind everything's still in print. The back smartest in this time. of the smarts they could read. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not even exaggerating, too. That's the best part. Um, now, what, what's interesting, too, by the way, I uh, used to date a girl from Kildare, by the way. Um, and uh, it gets a little bit uh, wacky with that one, real quick, because she's a good chick. You know what I mean? She'll never listen to this podcast, so who cares? But. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I did used to date a girl from Kildare, and she was very cool. And she would talk because they're, they're very country out there. You know what I mean? That's that's like riding a horse kind of a thing. That's what they like to do. They're very um, – it, it's almost like uh, – They're being, very in touch with the land. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like Montana, um, which we get into later. Like Th- most, That wasn't uh, even slick. Like, that wasn't even smooth. <laughs> like uh, most <laughs> Irish people, Maher developed a strong – <laughs> it's going to be wrong the whole episode. Just get used to it. Are we just going to just get the buzzer <laughs> for yeah, the rest of the episode? Buzzer actually. Now, you guys can try to mess with me on that one, but Dad, you've already hit enough uhs and ums this episode to last us a lifetime. All right? About to have to put um, a buzzer on What do you on mean? You. <laughs> uh, uh, so, like most Irish people, Maher develops strong oratory skills. These are people that like to talk. As I once said in a joke on stage, uh, it, it's kind of a weird thing with the Irish because – Here's people. They don't have drinking problems. They have cocaine problems. All right, cocaine's the worst thing to ever happen to the Irish Kahuna. Here's a drug that makes you talk fast and drink like a fish, and we're going to give it to people that already talk fast and drink like fish. <laughs> Not a good look for those poor bastards. But uh, no, uh, Mar was a keen student. Uh, at age 15, he was the youngest medalist on the debate team at his school. Uh, he has his Jesuit education. Often uh, didn't teach him about his own island's history, though, because part of those penal laws was you weren't allowed to know about the the great history of Ireland itself. You had to learn from a worldview history and kind of a uh, what the English, English would allow English you to hear. History. Yeah. So they would hide a lot of that really cool warrior spirit kind of a stuff thing that would go on with the the old school Gaelic traditions and the old Irishry, as they would call it. Now, by the way, when you talk about fairies in Ireland. Uh, a ferry in Ireland versus a ferry here. If we, if somebody got called a ferry uh, in New Jersey, you would have an idea about them. You know, there's a tooth ferry over here, so we always think of kind of a dainty thing, you know, and in a, with a, with little tiny wings coming in and putting money underneath your pillow or whatever. Uh, the ferries over in Ireland, these are like demons. Okay, these are not good. These are like the they possess your body. They, they steal, steal your, your children. Yeah, they'll steal your children in the middle of the night. The fairies are. It, it's a different type of people over there. Does Peter that come Pan down must from the have, pagan. What's yeah. that? Peter Pan must have yeah. been a very confusing movie when that came out. Though. It's not Tinkerbell. Yeah. No, no, not an army of Tinkerbell. Imagine uh, Tinkerbell, but uh, you know, uh, also with the poltergeist. Um, now uh, the weird Copyright. thing too, exactly. <laughs> He winds up. Uh, he goes ahead, and he has this uh, this worldview approach they're trying to present to him in his teaching. Now, Maher also reported to school with a deep and often difficult to understand quote brogue. Now, when you hear an Irish brogue, and um, I will admit to it, I have tried using it on people in the past. It it doesn't always work, but uh, 
when people hear brogue, they, they think that that's the right way to say you have an Irish accent, but really that means you talk like with a speech impediment, right, Dad? Yeah, brogue is actually a Gaelic word or an, Ir- or an Irish word. It's interesting, too, that, um, you know, he speaks Gaelic. Well, no, he's not speaking Gaelic. He's speaking Irish. I mean, if you're in France, what language do you speak? French. French. If you're in England, what language do you speak? English. English. If you're in Ireland, what language do you speak? Irish until English was forced on you to no longer be allowed by law to speak Irish. That you know now nowadays it's come to be known as Gaelic. Now there are other forms of Gaelic. There's Scotch Gaelic. There's Welsh Gaelic. There's different dialects even within Irish Gaelic. But uh, we got a Gaelic for all customs. That's right. It must be fun for people living in Ireland now. People that go there and say, "Oh, you have a great." Irish uh, brew. It doesn't. No, that's not what that means. Yeah. But you're just getting a good laugh of it anyway. Right. Like, who fucking cares? Right. Kind of like too with a, a Jersey accent. We're like, oh, here comes the Jersey guys. You're like, oh god, did I mispronounce something? Is that what they did? They hear me? Right. Yeah. Or Midwestern or uh, Southern or so you know cold. whatever. It's the same same type. Well, of Well, howdy, thing. y'all. Uh, right. Now, uh, his deep Irish brogue uh, was essentially beaten out of him by the Jesuits. They were not having it. Uh, they kicked the crap out of. Uh, uh, not kicked the crap out of him, but they pretty much told him, like, hey, no one's ever going to take you seriously when you talk like that. So we're going to give you, uh, I want you to slowly work on this so you can sound more uh, articulate. And he developed a upper class, uh, you know, pretty much a an Anglo-Irish accent, which back in Ireland, everybody, I had this weird thing happening because I split my time. The only place I ever lived outside of New Jersey was Jacksonville, Florida. All right. So after uh, a couple of months down in Jacksonville, Florida, I came back up to New Jersey. And in Jersey, uh, people are like, oh, ooh, a little, little twang in your accent now, Kevin. And I was like, no, no, this is fine. Like, because down there, they called me a damn Yankee. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. You get somewhere stuck in the middle, you get weatherman voice. So Yeah, well, his brogue, too, too though, I mean, that was to be, that's looked down upon. Anything that smacks of being Irish was lower class and to be looked down upon. So um, the Jesuits were attempting to up his game, if you will, by. Because he was a bright student, beating, so they wanted beating, him to have a right, chance. Right. Yeah. Now uh, we're going to keep moving on here because it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, I think one of your bits too. It as soon as somebody says something that's brilliant, but if it's said with a southern accent, you're already dumbing it down. That this guy's intelligence level can't be all that great. He accidentally did the nicest thing ever. My father just confused one of my bits with one of Bill Burr's bits. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't I, I, Bill Burr's bit. But, I wish uh, I was whatever. That good. All right. Um, no, it was very nice of you actually. Uh, now. His uh, accent gets replaced here. Uh, he now moves into England, so he's got this English accent already, and he attends a school at Stonyhurst. His father refused to allow him to attend Trinity College, as we said earlier. Kerry, that is the only college in uh, Ireland at this time. University. Uh, university, I could correct. Thank you. Deeming it to be both uh, anti-Irish and anti-Catholic. So the only school in town is anti-Irish and anti-Catholic, and it's in Ireland, which is full of Irish and Catholics. Right. <laughs> right. So it would be like us going down to Lakewood and saying, uh, you know, we don't allow Jews to come. Like that the entire town's not going to come support you. Right. Right? What are you doing? That's your that's your populace. So exactly. Where are you going with they that? you got to play to your strengths on this one. So uh, it's during this time that Maher deserves a – I'm sorry, develops a reputation as a speaker with uh, no compare down at uh, the uh, Conciliation Hall over in Dublin. Now, as uh, Sinead O'Connor said it best, uh, nothing compares to you. So he's down there speaking the hall in Dublin, which still stands to this day, by the way. And they do uh, performance arts and music stuff, all the cool shit over there. If I ever do get a chance to go to Ireland, I want to check it out myself. 
But at this time, it was the headquarters of the Irish Repeal Association. LP, uh, in a nutshell, what's the Irish Repeal Association all about? Funny letters, uh, the Irish Repeal Association. The IRA. The IRA, yeah. <laughs> That's not that IRA, though. That comes a little later on. But uh, Just a coincidence, or it was... It, it was a group that was trying to get some of these uh, penal laws repealed um, that... You know, you're you're giving more rights back to the vast um, populace of the of the nation. I mean, 90 percent of the population is probably going to be uh, Catholic, and yet, you know, that that 10 percent is is running running everything or owning everything anyhow. Which also lends itself a little bit to the idea of um, in Ireland, because you see, uh, like, like in America, we want to have a, a laissez-faire attitude with our revolution. And then the French Revolution is, well, we got to kill everybody with money. And then the Irish Revolution is, well, we want to kill the bosses so we can be bosses ourselves. It's kind of a – it's a very weird thing where everybody kind of borrows from everybody else's ideas here. But you understand why uh, they would have uh, uh, you know, misgivings, if you will, about uh, any sort of a pact with Britain because these things are – every time somebody has a rebellion in Ireland, it gets crushed and then everybody gets hung. And then about 30 years later, they all try it again. Right. So it's a sequel that never you – know, Every really, generation has their own uprising. Which is interesting here too because now the rock star of this current movement, uh, which uh, these guys are known as uh, – uh, they have a couple of different names actually at first. But the Irish Repeal Association is a political group that wanted to sever the often tyrannical rule England held over Ireland. As stated in the beginning of Michael Collins' great movie with Liam Neeson, the British Empire spanned across the globe but its most troublesome territory is also the one closest to it, Ireland. Ireland. So, Yeah, that was actually uh – a law, the Act of Union between Great Britain and Ireland that uh, they were trying to re repeal. And basically what that did is it took away any kind of uh, self-government of the Irish and London or England became uh, the, the guy that's calling the shots, if you will, for anything going on in England and Ireland. Yeah, at the great same partnership. Time. Hey, how about we guys, let's get together and I'll just tell you everything you should do right. and uh, you listen. And if you don't listen, I punish you severely. You go to the guillotine. Is this like friendly slavery? Yeah, it's starting to sound that way, isn't it? That's pretty much. Well, uh, Mara returns to Ireland in 1843 and hoped to join the Australian military. I'm sorry, not the Australian. He gets there later. Austrian military. Let me correct myself here. So... The Austrian military. Now, what would happen, there's this really cool thing with um, the Irish uh, diaspora, they would call it, which is where it's ethnic people living in groups abroad. Okay? Uh, Kerry, you're looking at me funny. Uh, the Armenians have that a lot. So um, just something to try to bring it all together here so you understand the conversation. But um, the Australian uh, – again, I did it again. The Austrian military would often take in uh, Irish recruits, if you will. Because uh, these were people that were not allowed to fight for a standing army in Ireland because it was not allowed by the British. So why not go fight for the Austrians who were also a pretty happening people to be a part of at this time? Plus it's a job. It is a job. It's better than starving to death. Well, right. what's going on? What's another weapon that's being used here, uh, LP? Because we're going to get into it more later for what causes a mass exodus because the Irish are not – the Irish Catholics are not in America yet at this point. It's starting to happen now. Yeah, well, we're in uh – in and around the time period of the 1840s. Um, and it's not just Austria that's uh, hiring the Irish. Um, we also have uh, the French and pretty much any Catholic country um, is looking for the Irish to, uh, to help help them out within their armies. I mean, it's interesting that the Arc de Triomphe in, in uh, France, you look at the names inscribed on that, there's a whole lot of Irish names because they were Irish. Really? Mercy. 
Irish mercenaries that came over to France to fight for France, and France and England never got along. So if uh, the people that are putting down my people, uh, I got you know friends across the across the water in yeah, France. Yeah, the enemy of my enemy is my the friend. enemy of my enemy is uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go fight with them. And, also you know, France, Austria, and uh, – well, Germany Spain. doesn't exist yet, but uh, these are all Catholic countries for right. the most part. And Spain, and they're, they're all still Catholic, uh, Catholic countries And even the if there part. are uh, Protestant leaders in these countries, which I don't believe many were, um, what winds up happening is that none of them ever placed themselves at the head of the church of their country, which is right. why the King Henry VIII thing is so I – mean, that was a game changer. Right. Now, there's a guy in Ireland by the name of Daniel O'Connell who was a, uh, a, big, uh, a big guy looking for the uh, repeal movement, a uh, big supporter of the repeal movement to try to get some of these um, injustices corrected for the, uh, for the Catholic Irish uh, and, again, the uh, Presbyterians. Um, anything, any religious faction that was other than the Anglican Church or the Church of Ireland um, – this repeal um, agitation, of, if you will, um, rather than trying to fight that in the streets, there was a lot of payoffs to uh, when, it, when the time came for a vote as to whether we're going to continue on with this whole repeal kind of movement. So um, they're, they're causing a problem to see right. if they can you know, fill their pockets a little right. bit. The people, the people who are making the laws are now going to vote on whether we should change the laws or not. And the ones that didn't want the laws changed, and let's just keep it as the status quo, um, there was a number of uh, payoffs, in other words, of patronage. Well, revolution um, can be uh, a, a means to a profit sometimes. So mm-hmm. um, We've done an awesome job here unpacking everything too, so I want to make sure uh, – because O'Connell plays into what we're about to talk about. So uh, when Meyer returns in 1843, he decides uh, he was going to you know, go ahead and – He's looking into studying for the bar, trying to figure out what he's going into a military career. But, however, less than a year after his return to Ireland, the repeal movement saw this uptick in popularity. And Maher's oratory skills made him a celebrity of the cause. This dude's a fucking rock star. Right. He's, every a, le- t- he's a leader for sure. Well, every time he shows up, whenever they say, that, oh, who's playing tonight? And they're like, oh, Maher's playing tonight. And then everybody shows up for it. So he's got a good following here. Packed I mean, most houses. people with and a mustache that epic typically are pretty good <laughs> at being leaders. Yeah. I, I mean, ask how, him. You see everyone respects my father. <laughs> yeah, he's exactly. He's got this magnum P.I. over here. Uh-huh. Like, commands a room every time he steps in. That is true also, uh, and it infuriates me. Uh, <laughs> but, so that's uh, why you're angry. More people like him than you. Uh, well, uh, universal praise from my father here. I, I average about a, a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, <laughs> Mar would denounce the uh, British attempts to appease the movement through patronage. That's that bribes and hush money my father was talking about here a second ago. Like many others, Mar felt that England's attempts to buy them off would ruin their chance for an actual repeal. If if we just take the money, we're not going to get the shit we want. So we might as well let's keep pushing. They're already offering money. Let's see what we can. Let's see what else we can right. get. Yeah, let's try to actually achieve something. Let's get some new cars and new weapons. Right. Even know. even within the repeal movement, there was uh, you know payoffs to divide the repeal movement. So those who were for the repeal of these um, these laws, they were going to promise them patron. You know, if you vote uh, against this whole thing, this repeal, uh, we're going to give you. A, a cush government job or whatever the whatever the deal was that uh, it divided them and once again the Irish are split um, 
and well, then now the Irish people are known to be very, um, they're very hospitable and easygoing. There's no stubborn streak in Irish people. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> not at all. But much like Le'Veon Bell, sometimes you got to hold out, wait for a better deal. All right. So these guys are caving in first free agent offer that's coming in, and they go ahead and uh, they're holding out. And uh, Maher doesn't want to bastardize his own movement here, which is being now known as uh, Young Ireland. That's what they're being called here. Uh, that movement uh, the is Young Irelanders. Right. Young Ire- uh, Irelanders, which, uh, you know, it, it, it can be a mouthful at times here. That is 1846. Okay, that's the time frame we're dealing with here. Maher and the Young Ireland movement opposed physical violence as a means to invoke repeal, but they continue to see their honorable idea bastardized by Irish high society. They keep taking these goddamn bribes, Dad, yeah. and these scraps from the table offered by England. And Maher then resigns himself to the unenviable task of declaring repeal to uh, to be a cause that he and many others were now willing to shed blood over. So they didn't want this. This was not what they wanted here, but they keep not being listened to. And within their own ranks, these people are starting to give them a hard time. So Maher gives this fucking kick-ass, badass speech at Conciliation Hall. becomes an absolute verbal battleground until Maher delivers his famed sword speech to much support here. Uh, Kerry, what do you think the sword speech is? The first rap fight song. (laughs) A fight song. (laughs) There you go. Uh, it would be a good name. It's for the Dropkick it. Murphy's newest single. Mm. Uh, it, and they actually they talk about him quite a bit too. They were uh, they were big fans of him. Uh, well, because you're going to see once he gets to America, because he is coming to America. Make make no mistake, he's coming to America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to understand too what's going on right now too. That uh, Mar Mar up to this point was trying to do it legally peacefully. Almost like the founding fathers, Without we didn't want to, to break from gun, yeah, we right. don't want to break from England. But now the Battle of Bunker Hill is happening, and we're dropping people. Right. He didn't want to go full Walter White just yet. Uh, but <laughs> at the same time, what's going outside is um, uh, we're, we're in '46. We've already started to see the beginnings of the potato famine. What has been loosely called a potato famine, it really was a potato blight. I would um, never survive. But the area. whole the whole uh, social. Uh, level of the whole um, scheme of things outside is that if you're an Irish Catholic, you can't own property. Well, you're still got to eat. So what are you going to do? You're going to become a tenant farmer. So you're paying rent to, on your own farm to the Protestant landlord to property that you probably owned at one time, but now you have to pay it to the landlord. It's an absentee landlord because the actual owner of the property is back over in England and his big mansion someplace and you have these overlords if you will it's it's you know depending on who you're talking to it's one step above or below slavery because you're eking out an existence the potato became a a very important crop because potato is easy to grow you basically stick the, the the spuds into the ground and you come back in a couple of months and you've you've got this crop that is very sustaining as well it's a it's something that you can depend on, and it takes very little work. Meanwhile, while your own potatoes on your little patch, if you will, are growing to sustain the family through the winter and, and throughout the rest of the year, you can then go work for the landlord on your little tenant farm, and then whatever crop comes in, you have to pay to the, pay to the landlord. I'd like to give a quick shout-out, if we can, to Death Wish Coffee. Uh, my father was falling asleep on the car ride down here. <laughs> He's up now. <laughs> and, uh, I don't think he took a breath the entire time during that. And he just broke down the Irish potato famine. 
Yeah, well, it goes beyond that, too, because it wasn't just the famine of the potato that failed. It was the logistics. Now that if the potato fails, the tenant farmer has got nothing to sustain his own existence. See, potatoes But meanwhile, all the other crops that you were growing for the landlord, they're doing fine. So all these crops are being taken out of Ireland, oftentimes under military escort. So the people are starving to death. Meanwhile, the food to sustain them is being shipped over to England. That Question. they're farming. Huh? That they're farming. That they're farming, right. So the crops that I grew are now being taken out of this country. Meanwhile, meanwhile I'm starving, starving to death. Them. Right. And now because, <laughs> because my own crop failed, right, I can't pay the land, so I'm being thrown off my property. You said that soldiers would even guard these shipments of uh, potatoes and stuff the, like that. Well, the, the, all the foodstuffs that were beyond the potato that didn't fail, that were growing wonderfully. They probably had to make sure the Irish out. weren't going to eat those Exactly. Instead. I mean, you know, if you're starving and your, your own, your own tatties didn't think that, quite make it. Do you think that that was like, back then, thinking in the mindset of a soldier, do you think that that was like the, ah, oh, fuck, I got to be a potato guarding detail type thing? Or do you think <laughs> it was yeah. like... The Beetle Bailey's here. just peeling potatoes. The British Beetle Bailey is enforcing potatoes. <laughs> right. um, I don't want to make fun of her, too, because she's a great person. Um, but I did have to laugh when um, my, uh, my ex-girlfriend from Ireland uh, was making a... She was making, oh, it's an old recipe from the family. And I was like... This is hamburger helper. All right, you don't know. What you're <laughs> I hate to tell you. All right, but um, no. So now people, you're using starvation as a weapon, which uh, all the evil people wind up doing. That now, whether it was intentional or whether whether it was, um, you know, the the idea of uh, uh, kid gloves kind of a thing, where it wasn't this absolute enforcement blanket statement thing, but. Uh, especially over in Mogadishu with Somalia and all that stuff, that's why we got involved in Somalia was because they were using hunger as a weapon. So uh, now this is already starting to get to a lot of people over in uh, America. Uh, you fuck with our munchies. We fuck with you, man. Oh, yeah. It, it's, <laughs> like, we got Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if, you're t- if, if you have food and sustenance, then you can have a, a greater hierarchy of needs. You take away food, and now these people have to go essentially tribal. That's why I hear so many songs um, growing up as kids. Carrie will vouch for me with this one. We listen to the, uh, the uh, Irish uh, radio hour, if you will. And uh, we would listen to these songs about... Uh, you know, it's just this beautiful song. You're like, Dad, what's this song about? I'm like, this song's about a guy who stole a loaf of bread so he could feed his uh, his wife and uh, kids, and then uh, they put him on a prison ship and he died of disease. And I was like, Why? But, but I was seven. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, please, please, I don't want to hear any more of this. Uh, now we've we've covered Dad, this. I'm an Eagle here. Scout. Yeah, also, yeah, that was probably, it was all scouting trips we listened to this shit on. Now, we've covered the zeitgeist here, so we understand what's going on over in Ireland at the time. Uh, now, this Irish Confederation pops up uh, after this uh, impassioned sword speech that Maher makes that pretty much takes him to a national figure at this point. That is his, um, he's having his, his great uh, you shall not pass moment. All right, to give a, a Lord of he dropped the mic on the whole fucking country. Oh, yeah. It was uh, it was definitely his moment here. Now, after the speech, Meyer's enemies tell him that he must leave the hall. Now, this is O'Connell's own son that my father was talking about earlier. So this other guy, O'Connell, who has been taking the bribes, his son tells him that, uh, hey, either you got to leave the hall or I'm leaving the hall. You know, this, this hall ain't big enough for the both of us, son. 
And the Young Ireland movement saw this as an attack on free speech, and they left the halls in droves, never to return again. Yeah, so the factions are now completely split. So any of the, the repeal movement, if you will, is now split into the various factions. Those who just making things more difficult. Those who think that, Ireland's you know, really good at this, by the way. Yeah, um, that it's 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 time for to take action, and uh, you know, by the drop of the blood, the sword speech. Um, that if we're not going to get it by peaceful means, then by any means, because you got people that are starving to death outside the hall. You know, mm-hmm. that, uh, this is literally. where Thomas became the one who knocks. Uh, it's also at, not for nothing. There's a little bit of a Batman vibe to this, where it's a, but as a symbol, I can never be. T- <laughs> so he takes on a new name. This Irish Confederation now starts. That's the Young Irelanders uh, now become the Irish Confederation. Maher does spend a little bit more time overseas. He goes over to France which is pretty friendly to him over there. They're studying uh, currently what's going on in France at the time is their second revolution because the first one didn't go so good. Uh, yeah, it's not good when um, your revolution ends in beheading everyone. Okay, just what I'm saying here. No. Now, upon you their, can start anew, though. You could start anew. That's but right. It, it's Wipe one of those, the slate clean by wiping everybody out. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, Carrie, by that logic, um, uh, what you do every year in the NFL draft, whenever you draft a quarterback, the next year you draft another quarterback. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes the Giants need a quarterback. It's a, a debatable, debatable. All right, we're going, we're going, we're, we're, we're not we're going down politics. the wrong track here. No, we're not. We're not it's, a politics show. It's okay. We are not. You're right. I'm not a sports show either. And uh, you know, Kerry cheers for the Buccaneers because Dad doesn't love her. Maher spent time overseas <laughs> in France studying the Second Revolution here. Now, upon their return to Ireland, Maher was one of the presenters of the. This is fantastic. This is why I think he's such an interesting guy here. Um, he is one of the presenters of the new Irish tricolor flag. So the modern flag of Ireland is presented in part by Francis. Ma- I'm sorry, Thomas Francis Marr. And uh, he gets us. Uh, now this is crazy here. Uh, yeah, for those those non-Irish uh, in the listening audience, the Irish flag is a tricolor. It's green, it's white, and it's orange. Um, the the symbolism to that was that the green would be for the for the Irish Catholic side. The orange was always taken on as from William of Orange from the way Battle back of the Boyne, to the Battle of the Boyne, way back in the, in the day when uh, um, William of Orange defeated James the first. Um, so you got the orange for the Protestants, you got the green for the Catholics, and the white was to symbolize peace between the for two. Catholics, it's not easy yeah. being green. So they're, they're presenting this uh, a nationalist symbol, but with this uh, idea of that they want to you know, have a sense of peace coming in there because it is supposed to be a symbol of a truce. Now, the flag is made for them by uh, French women while they were over there in France who were sympathetic to the Irish cause. Now, if we know anything about French women, they're all hookers. <laughs> okay. Well, there goes well, the listening audience. Right? We don't have any, That's so really I'm not afraid quickly. to lose them. I apologize. If anyone's listening from France, uh, you know, just we'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Tone that one Sacre bleu. I'm they, uh, they have that the, one uh, back. This flag, the Irish tricolor flag, uh, is now flown uh, in Waterford over the Wolf Tone Confederation Club. Wolf Tone. If you want to have a confederation club, like, a re- like imagine if, uh, if you wanted to have a revolution in, uh, in America – you would name it after George Washington or something, or the Ben Franklin Association. You're like, what are you, what are you guys up to over there? You got a, a lot of good names here coming in. Wolf Tone had led a failed revolution uh, earlier himself, or uh, a failed uprising, I should say, and gave an impassioned speech as he was about to be hung at the docks. And he was, he was hung afterwards, but he had the greatest final words, like in the history of mankind, pretty much. Pretty fascinating guy in his own right. 
But they call it the Wolf Tone Confederation Club. This is now 1848. Maher uh, knew the time in Ireland uh, for action was fast approaching. The Young Ireland Rebellion of 1848, also known as the Famine Rebellion, as my father said, these people were being starved out. Right. I mean, that, that famine wasn't just a one-year deal. That famine went on for years. And um, you might have heard of Black 47. Uh, that's a tribute because... And 1847 was the worst year out of all the years because um, now the, the whole nation is is undergoing this whole potato famine. So 47, there's people that have been starving now for three, four years that it's been going on. So and it's just you know gotten bigger and bigger every year that the crop keeps failing, the crop keeps failing, and it was a potato blight. The there, bat signal has been put up yeah, at this point. Time. Essentially, it has to here you now. Got, you've got, uh, there were um, people visiting Ireland at the time that would ride out into the countryside and be appalled at, at the conditions. It was the worst conditions that anybody had to live within, that they would see uh, dead bodies on the side of the road with the green um, green uh, on coming out of their mouth from them trying to eat grass because there was nothing else left to eat. So I mean, you Jesus, <laughs> yeah, you got some some bad things. Meanwhile, well, you know, as I call it, white privilege. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> uh, we're teasing here on that one, man. But now, 1848, uh, this uh, uh, rebellion is in full swing here. What winds up happening is that uh, uh, the Famine Rebellion, as it's known, takes place in the south of Tipperary. It is a several-hour-long gunfight. It erupts between the Confederation and a constable unit, so the cops, right, who are going to be enforcing, uh, in a sense, the removal of some of the the other uh, food items, if you will. So uh, these are the guys. You're not very happy to see the cops in Ireland. Now, uh, once more police wind up arriving to reinforce the besieged constablery, uh, constablery, that's a, such a shitty word. The cops. We'll call them the cops. The Garda. Yeah. The uh, rebellion failed and uh, these guys had to retreat. Now, Maher is among those who was arrested for his involvement in what became known as the Battle of Ballingarry. And these new British laws that they just changed, just a new addendum, guys, new addendum to the rules here, uh, is now declared that Maher and other agitators were to be hung, drawn, and quartered. Just like William Wallace, that's where they hang you by the neck for a little bit, right? Then they stretch you out on the table, and then they literally uh, take your guts out in front of you, chop you up into tiny pieces. Yeah, they might emasculate just you some, first, too. Just some casual just for torture. Fun. Yeah, it's a, They'll cut your hangy, your hangy down parts off first, and then, uh, then they'll cut you up the middle and pull your, pull your insides out. Ouch. And then, uh, well, they didn't have baseball back then. We're and just then, baseball they'll, then they'll behead you. <laughs> And the whole quartered part of the thing, well, that's when they cut you into four pieces and then distribute the four pieces throughout the island to... to now, at what, now, at what part of this torture do they start introducing playing Nickelback music on repeat? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they take the four parts of your body, Kahuna, and they spread it around different parts uh, uh, so that you, know, that you can be used as a symbol to warn people. Uh, but at the same time, who doesn't love to travel, right? Isn't that everyone's dream? <laughs> so. I saw the world. All at the same time. Yeah, uh, indeed. Now, my uh, my legs saw France. <laughs> my dick saw the other side of the island. <laughs> right. right. You're to the four winds, if you will. Oh, God. Well, now, here's what winds up happening that's pretty interesting. Eventually, we've talked about before on the show, eventually uh, Britain overplays its hand in the punishment of uh, these revolutionaries, and it winds up leading to the the fallout from the uh, Easter 1916 uprising. Everyone's just like, whoa, 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 just chill. We'll deal with it. You you go back home. Right. Well, uh, what winds up happening for this one here is that there's this public outcry because Mars really popular, man. 
this is like they're 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 killing a celebrity pretty much. Yeah, and, but uh, plus the fact he is here's a, a rich guy that doesn't have to isn't starving to death, and he's fighting for the rights of those who are. That you know he's got some public, definitely some public support. That here's finally somebody that's trying to look out for the for the little guy, if you will, um, and not for any um, private gains, if you will. Uh, well, he gives this uh, this famous speech from the dock that I wanted to talk about for a second. Uh, that also adds to uh, the further outcry and public support for Maher to be spared. Uh, Maher and others were then granted these things known as tickets of leave. Dad, what are tickets of leave? Well, it, um, the, the sentence, because he was tried and convicted of sedition, which is, means he went against the king um, or against the government. Um, and he was sentenced to be hanged, drawn, and quartered. Um, his his um, sentence was uh, softened or, or throttled back a little bit. And this ticket to leave that basically you were transported um, out of the country um, back in the day, before before the United States became the United States, you might have been transported to the colonies, to the thirteen colonies. That's where that indentured so, servitude comes in. Indentured servitude shit. and everything else that you might be forced to work for somebody else. But anyhow, you're not staying in England or Ireland. You're you're out of here, um, and they would send you to a, a colony where they needed people to. Um, further the gains of the of the crown Kuna, elsewhere. Kuna, do you know of any uh, penal colonies in the world? Any continents? Maybe twenty four hours away. You know, maybe, maybe they have a Union Jack on their flag. And it's a long flight. Some kangaroos. Oh, Paul shit. Hogan. <laughs> Australia. Foster's beer. There you go. Yep. Uh, right. So the uh, penal colony uh, in Australia. A little part of uh, it was Van Diemen's Land, right? Van Diemen's Land. Van, yeah, Van uh, Diemen's. That's a Van part Diemen's of it. That's what they call a part of it, or is that the nickname no, of that, Australia? Van Diemen's Land is actually an island um, that's just off the coast of Australia. Now it, it's now called Tasmania. It's a state within Australia. Oh, just okay. as we have New Jersey as a part of a state of the fifty. Um, um, this Van Diemen's Land originally was a penal colony that you were sent there to, to to spend out the rest of your life. It was a life sentence to stay there, that you were transported, you were forced um, to go there. Um, now, I might be very mistaken, but a lot, from what I n- little bit know of uh, Australia's history is that it's like, kind of started by criminals so right. is that what that kind of that's is exactly, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly where we're going we talked earlier yeah. about Kurt Russell now I, I want you to get your point here in a second Dad. we were talking earlier about Kurt Russell we mentioned Escape from New York and uh, the, the sequel Escape from New York. oh LA. so this was literally so essentially just picture Maher being walked down in chains right now as he's getting in a, in a, <laughs> and, you know, you're seeing people give themselves the electric chair before they're getting he's got to rescue the president yeah. in 24 hours Maher's got an eye patch on and he just goes I have to save Ireland <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much it. But they're they're put on a, a prison ship and sent to Van Diemen's Land or sent to Australia to serve out the rest of their life on this um, rock, <laughs> this island. Yeah. Now the island is is pretty big. I was doing a little research. It's the twenty sixth biggest island in the world, surrounded by a whole bunch of little tiny islands. Very rugged. Um, very you know out there. Very difficult to get to. 
also very difficult to get off of. So, I mean, once you were on the island. So it's Alcatraz? It, it's, <laughs> yeah, but a lot further out. And, uh, yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're, once you're once you landed on that, uh, you were pretty much certain prisoners were allowed to have their freedom on the island itself. That they would place these various convicts um, in that. Now, Australia very sparsely populated um, at the time, and you know, England was looking. Really, Van Diemen's Island was – they put a penal colony on there just so that England could claim that as their own because the French were also looking for, for that. So if we put a penal colony on there, we're, we're holding that bad boy for ourselves. Your description was amazingly accurate because it is just basically giant Alcatraz from yeah. like – Size comparison wise, yeah, but we're talking about a you know Australia is is pretty good size and uh, yeah. Tasmania is pretty good size, but I mean, again, going back to these uh, penal laws, you would be sent to um, these penal colonies for relatively minor infractions. Kevin alluded to it before that uh, you know there's there's various uh, Irish folk songs that say well you know he stole. Uh, Trevelyan's corn. In other words, he stole corn or he stole a loaf of bread so that the kids might see tomorrow that the kids aren't going to starve to death. And well, now if, you got, if you got caught stealing, you're in trouble. You were going to put on a prison ship and sent off to uh, Australia. Petty theft was the most common crime that led to transportation. Um, petty theft or larceny. Um, Historians estimate that roughly three-fifths of the male convict population came under the category of other larcenies. So in other words, petty theft. You store a loaf of bread, you could be sent off to uh, Australia <laughs> and never see the, your family ever again. Burglary or, or housebreaking, highway robbery, stealing clothing, stealing animals. So if, you, if your kids are starving to death and you go and steal the landlord's uh, sheep right, or pig, so the kids might have something to eat, uh, and you got caught. You were uh, you were sent off to uh, Van Diemen's Island. Now, Military not on offense. the list, by the way. Not on the list. Sodomy. <laughs> Where are you going with that? Just putting it out there, guys. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my! Military offenses, prostitution, uh, crimes of deception. Uh, and political protest. Basically anything fun. So we're going right. to send Australia. Yeah. Uh, right. We're sending boats full of prostitutes and petty thieves over to go hang out in Australia. Good luck, aboriginals. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so basically Australia at this point just becomes awesome. Going on Ancestry.com, <laughs> they said that today's Australian population, about 20% of today's Australian population can what, lead, still have lead back to their uh, convict wow. their convict roots, if you will. Well, uh, <laughs> so essentially, what it is is uh, an entire continent of Las Vegas. So uh, they're pretty fascinating too, because now Mar and the uh, other uh, troublemakers were given liberty on arrival in Tasmania in exchange for their word they would not attempt to escape and not meet up with one another. This was routinely broken with correspondence and secret rendezvous. Maher spent his banishment, as we said, in a Van Diemen's land. Uh, now, uh, Van Diemen's uh, demon, devil, Tasmania, Tasmanian devil. Just put that one together, didn't I? Yeah. So, but Van Diemen was actually a Dutch uh, explorer. But that's that's another. You that's don't think that that's episode. where these names all come from? We're talking about <laughs> etymology. Yeah. Now, uh, during this time from 1851, now Maher meets uh, Catherine Bennett. 
whom he fell in love with and married. Uh, the marriage was met with large disapproval by his counterparts due to their consideration of Catherine as a lowly daughter of a criminal. Like we just talked about, the criminal history of Australia. Maher is undeterred by the low opinion of Catherine's family and uh, marries her. He gets a lot of shit from the boys for this one. They try it to wasn't so much Catherine's family as the rest of the guys. That oh, the guys are like, you're going to marry this dead common girl? Right. Her father was – she was born in the penal colony. Her father had uh, was uh, accused of mail robbery. Okay, not like the postal service, not sodomy. Um, but to point oh out, they're God. all now at the penal colony, so they're all right. convicts anyway. All convicts or offspring of convicts. Right. right. So what's the difference? Yeah, but he was a political prisoner. So uh, he was a political prisoner, uh, and he was also a, a upper class political prisoner. Uh, so, so even though he was still a whole, prisoner, he still has but, some pull. You but still a have this is whole social issue that, yeah, you know, he's. Uh, He's oh, so there's a hierarchy with the, the prisoners now. Just as you have a hierarchy within prison, so. You yeah. know. <laughs> or a hierarchy within Home Depot, Kerry. You would understand. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's undeterred by the low opinion of Catherine, and uh, he goes and he marries her. Within a year of marriage, Meyer surrenders his ticket of leave and writes a letter to the authorities explaining his intentions to escape to America. It's a pretty polite guy right there where he goes, hey, just so you guys know. Well, it was a matter of honor that – you know, you were, it was on your honor that you weren't going to try to leave. If you promise on your honor that you're not going to try to escape from this island, right? And with that, they would give you free reign of the island pretty much. Um, they would station a lot of your buddies in opposite corners of the island that they mm-hmm. weren't putting all these all these political prisoners in one spot. They would scatter them around the island. And it's a big island, so, I mean... In order to get from one spot to the other, it wasn't like you're going to take a, a morning walk to go visit your buds. I mean, you it's sparsely populated, track. and yeah, you it it took some some planning to uh, to pull this off. But yeah, he well, gets you've heard married. of Escape from New York. You've heard of Escape from L.A. Right? Escape from Australia. Thomas it was, Francis the, it was the third one that just never got made. Snake right. Maher. Snake Maher. John Maher. Carpenter, call us. <laughs> Well, he, uh, he gets out of there. Now, um, it's great because he decides he's going to make his move over to New York City. But now his wife, Catherine, is uh, so far along in her pregnancy, she's unable to leave with him. So Maher has her sent to Ireland with his family. His uh, father, so her father-in-law, right, winds up meeting her over in Ireland. When she arrives in Ireland, this is Catherine Bennett, who, uh, you know, she's very ill. Uh, not a healthy woman by uh, any stretch of the imagination here. But she now uh, has was born in a penal colony. Gets over to Ireland now, a country she's only heard about because her father was banned from it when he stole from the mail over there. Uh, now, she arrives, and because of her baby daddy, okay, uh, she is greeted by 20,000 Irish people at the railroad cart who serenade her as she arrives in Ireland. You're going to have a pretty good feeling about a new country when 20,000 people right. are all singing to you. On account of who you know your husband is, and your entire life you've never been off of Van Diemen's Island. Oh yeah, and now she's a, a dead sudden, common girl, right, and now all right, of Ireland's singing right. to her. So. And Ma- Maher's escape was no small feat either. He goes into a small boat and jumps into the into the water with this small boat, not really having a plan, hoping that he was going to be able to get to uh, New Zealand, and then make his escape from New Zealand. New Zealand is also held by the. By the English, by right. the British, um, a uh, a Yankee uh, merchant ship, an American merchant ship, happens to pick him up, and the captain of that ship 
absolutely hates the English and is like, welcome aboard, dude. You can, you know. <laughs> Do what uh, you want. Uh, we'll take you wherever you want to go. And he makes his, he does make his way to the United States. Very lucky, too, man, because imagine if, um, if he kind of swam up to the boat. And uh, he realizes that the captain of the boat is wearing a New England Patriots sweatshirt, and then uh, he's got a Jets hat on. You're just going to hit him with the the row and tell him to you know, right. swim hit him on. With the and right. Wait for the next boat. Right. Yeah, got pretty lucky there. Now he uh, he makes it over to uh, New York City now. So our boy made it to America. All right. Uh, he immediately finds himself on the lecture circuit and founded a pro-Ireland, anti-Britain newspaper known as the Irish News. Okay. Very original title, guy. Maher studies law. And becomes a legal U.S. citizen. Uh, during this time, the question of Meyer's departure from Van Diemen's Land uh, continues to come up enough that Meyer agrees to be, quote, tried. Because like you said, Dad, he wants to stand for a matter of honor here. Uh, so he wants to make sure that he's doing things right and he's facing his crimes of the past. Right. And it was an honorable thing for him to let the authorities know when he was still in uh, captivity that, hey, I'm, I'm going to make my escape. And within 24 hours of them receiving that letter, he makes his, his escape. But again, it's still a matter of honor that there's still questions. Well, this guy's an escaped convict. Hey, he, I'm he, just letting y'all know. Yeah. I'm dipping. You can come after me if you want. Right. Uh, I'll be in America like doing know, uh, cool shit. Tomorrow's senior cut day and I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was hey, good. boss, I'm not feeling well. Gotta, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to call out a slavery tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so he makes it over into America, and now he's being put on trial. Uh, and now it's, it's kind of funny because it's a little bit of a, uh, a fixed trial, if you will. Uh, Kahuna, you've been with us since the beginning on this one. Mm-hmm. So um, do you remember any sort of a political body we might have done a three-part uh, series on? Perhaps. Would you happen to be talking about the infamous, the notorious, <laughs> the somewhat amazing, somewhat incompetent, Tammany Hall. There you you go. know it, sir. <laughs> Tammany Hall is running things in New York right now, and there's definitely there's no way that a famous Irish uh, nationalist who comes and uh, flees the country from uh, a prison, a penal colony, Australia, is not going to have a couple of friends in Tammany Hall. It's just there's no way around. This is the it. part in the spinoff movie where we see like two or three of the original characters from the movie but they disappear for a couple of minutes oh exactly this is a, this is essentially um, a, there's a little bit of a uh, Iron Man getting recruited kind of a thing for the Avengers but uh, very cool stuff here he uh, stands up to it they clear him of all charges so now he can just go back to uh, being an Ir- uh, Irish man who is now a citizen of the Tammany United Hall States. clears of well, charge well no it wasn't I was, Tammany I was Hall just... but he is he is Put up in, I guess you would call it a mock trial. It was, oh, it, was okay. it wasn't really any judicial authority presiding over this, but he is. Uh, it's probably just for his social trial. standing, right? Right. Oh, okay. Right. The easiest way to defend your honor. Now, uh, the uh, the also coming uh, war between the states is brewing heavily during this time, but Maher still finds time to travel to Costa Rica in hopes that it might be hospitable enough for Irish immigration. Uh, unfortunately, Costa Rica very sunny. So it's not hospitable to Irish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you better have your SPF uh, 506. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, imagine if that had happened and you went down to Costa Rica and it was just all very pale people bitching about the government. So <laughs> um, Maher receives a commission as a captain in the New York State militia. And uh, Irish Revolution would have to wait because America is now breaking out into civil war. 
Yeah, things are things are definitely heating up. But, but he is in the militia now. The war hasn't started yet, but he uh, joins the uh, New York State Militia, the, the the 69th New York State Militia. The good old 69th. The good old 69th. Well, here was a he continues to become a, kind of an awe-inspiring figure here because, like many others in New York City, New York City, by the way, at this time especially. Uh, you got a, a mayor from Tammany Hall by the name of Fernando Wood. You know about him, Kara? No. Uh, Fernando Wood wanted uh, – he actually sided with the South. The mayor of New York City, the first – I believe he was the first Irish-born um, mayor of New York City. Uh, he was um, a very interesting – he wasn't the first Irish-born. I fucked that one up. First Tammany Hall guy to be elected as mayor of New York City. Let me correct myself. Uh, and he actually sided with the South. And wanted New York to be a free city because guess what? They enjoyed trading with the South a lot. So New York was not this um, – they weren't like a whole like, hey, now we're part of the union. We don't like you southern bastards up here. So between them and Tammany Hall, also Maher himself, uh, they also uh, – they initially supported the South. He had lectured down there quite frequently and he was very sympathetic to the farmers and kind of that southern way of life. He eventually chooses to support the union due to his acknowledgement that uh, the fact that there's a need for a preserved United States – in order to later assist him in his other goal of an Irish revolution. So he had to keep those guys all together here because when the United States is strong and all together and everything, now you can focus on his big picture. So his next deal is going to come into play here. Also, it was kind of uh, you know it was thought to be that when the Union won the war that maybe they would start listening to him. And we're going to cover in another episode some of the fallout from uh, the, boys, uh, the boys of Ireland who uh, fought for the Union and some of the hijinks they get up to in a, a place called Canada, Care, But... His uh, fellow escapee and his partner at the Irish News, the paper that he had founded, was a guy by the name of John Mitchell. And uh, Mitchell did not agree with him, and he moved to Richmond. And uh, so Mitchell moves to Richmond where his three sons serve in the Confederacy. So his own partner. So they, they always call the Civil War the war between, uh, between brothers. They're very right. Okay, there were a lot of families that were split up on this one. Yeah, John Mitchell was also one of the young islanders with, with uh, Marr back in the old country. Uh, and it was Mitchell uh, and Marr who started that whole Irish News newspaper. So together, that you know, they were the, the forefront to the, to the voice in America, if you will. But now with the Civil War breaking out, Mitchell decides to he's, – he's more pro-South than uh, – Mar, Mar decides that he's going to be uh, more pro-North. Well, I've once heard it said that the Irish are the only people where the only thing they can agree on is that they don't agree. So they're not a very uh, – uh, it, it's not a – there's no anger between the two of them here. They just kind of go on and do their own thing. But Maher now uses his celebrity status to rally men to his cause. He is an officer in the New York 69th. The brigade was heavily Irish, uh, due in part uh, to pride. And then also there was also this idea that the, uh, the Irish were kind of considered – there was a low opinion held to them. That you weren't an Anglo-Saxon, you were Irish. So it was uh, this idea, especially with the, the Catholics. So these these dumb people, they worship, uh, worship the wizard in the pointy hat. Yeah, I mean the same discrimination that they faced in Ireland, they're still facing that same discrimination in America. It's just they're not they're not to the point where they're killing you, but you're still you're still we don't struggling we're on to the same survive. Side right. just yet. You are the lowest of the low. It's probably the only thing worse is to be a slave. Um, but it's not uh, too many steps uh, steps above, and if you will. For them, it was enticing that they got off the boat, they got a gun, and they were promised a meal a day. Well, well yeah. So you at got, least they got food out of it. They're so. going to feed you, and they're going to give you a nice uh, new uh, wool uniform and uh, a gun and you know a blanket and all kinds of neat stuff that 
if you're starving to death in the old country, uh, at least that's uh, at least you're not starving. It's a step up, right? And then you might die, but it's a step up. And once you're landed in <laughs> in, in the United States, too. I mean, the, the discrimination was was rampant. That you would see uh, help wanted ads, help wanted, but then underneath it, it would say. No Irish need apply. In other words, if you're Irish, don't even bother asking for the job because we're not hiring Irish. It's just that plain and simple. Now, uh, the other side of that coin, too, is that they're trying to prove to the United States that they're good enough to uh, join this fighting force. But at the same time, they're also nervous because now if you free all those slaves, now they're going to be in competition for the same jobs as the newly arrived Irish immigrants. Yeah, well, initially, though, the Civil War was – although – the, the schism, the, the war started over slavery. Initially, the North felt it was to, um, to save the Union, to save the United States, not so much to free the slaves. That, the Emancipation Proclamation didn't happen until 1863. The, uh, the war starts in 1861. So, I mean, that, the initial thing was to save the Union. So, Let's save the United States. Yeah, <laughs> and those guys too. All right. I mean, at least at least here we're promised some of the freedoms that we never got in the old country. So, Marr decides that he's backing the Union, and it's also an opportunity by joining the Union to prove um, to everybody the value of the Irish that you know they they aren't necessarily second class citizens given the opportunity we can be they're just like us they're just really hard to understand right. <laughs> they're still talking with the paredes in their mouth <laughs> <laughs> well uh, now Maher is involved with uh, the 69th New York all right, which still exists to this day it's actually a, uh, a New York City uh, there's an armory in New York City and then also it's um, uh, I believe it's a national guard unit for the state of New York but uh, still exists to this day. It uh, winds up later on becoming known as the Irish Brigade, as we were talking about here. But uh, not uh, not right away here. The good old 69th first sees action uh, with our boy Maher uh, as their second in command. They are commanded by Colonel Michael Corcoran. Okay. Now Corcoran has an interesting distinction, uh, distinction I should say, because um, the Prince of Wales has come over to the United States to This visit. is before the war. Before the before war. Before the war, right. And it would allow them to parade her. Now, tell that story real quick while I pee. <laughs> <laughs> if you hear a, a tinkling sound in the background. No, um, Michael Corcoran was also a member of the 69th uh, New York State Militia. This is all pre-war, uh, along with Marr. Um, but my, it's Michael Corcoran who is leading that. He, he uh, enters the militia as a private and is quickly elevated in the ranks. But prior to the Civil War, the Prince of Wales comes over to the United States to make a, a tour, make a visit. And um, shake you know, some hands. Oh yes, yeah, shake some hands, the bands Kiss come out. And there's you know, bands are playing and the military parades and all this kind of stuff to greet the That was actually touched on in a different Irish uh, David right. Kincaid song. Absolutely, absolutely coming but, over. Meanwhile most Americans are like, Who the fuck is that? Yeah, no, I mean it, it, there was still a whole uh, admiration, if you will, of the crown. I mean, uh, to the United States, we still see it today with the royal weddings and all this kind oh, of so stuff. Oh, so we cared are, equally back then, you know, too. You know, well, absolutely. We're still making a big... Like a uh, oh, I know. We, I didn't understand until recently how how much we still obsess over the royals. Right. I, I didn't know that that carried over for hundreds of years. Well, there's still there's still an admiration uh, in uh, in United States at the time, too. So now you have the, the crown prince, the prince of Wales, coming over to the United States, uh, meeting and greeting and everything else, um, the militia is ordered out 
to be part of this parade and this big pomp and, and ceremony kind of a thing. Michael Corcoran, who was leading the militia at the time, says, no friggin' way. <laughs> it's no way we're going to honor the guy that is putting the rest of my uh, my homelanders, because he was an Irish-born uh, uh, immigrant as well, that there's no way we're going to celebrate the, uh, the crown prince uh, who are putting the rest of my people in bondage back home in the old country kind of a thing. Did you say the line from the song, by the way? Or What's that? The line from the song. Did you get to that? Uh, Hubba-boo. Well, there's a great line uh, in that initial song we talked about, the Irish volunteers, uh, where it's... Um, uh, now, when the Prince of Wales came over here and made a hubaboo, everybody turned out in gold and tinsel too. Uh, but then the good old 69th didn't like these lords a leer. They wouldn't give a damn for kings, the Irish volunteer. We love the land of liberty. Its laws we shall revere. But the devil take a nobility, says the Irish volunteer. Yeah, that was really Michael Corcoran. But he is now... Good morning, Eagle Scout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Up and at him, boots and saddles. Here we go. Um, but no... Um, Do you have to go, Care? No. Okay. Um, Corcoran is, is going to be court-martialed for the refusal of the orders to appear. But now the Civil War does break out, and the Union Army is is... You know, desperate for a military people to to lead the troops into battle, kind of a thing. So the chargers are dropped, and Corcoran is then leading the uh, the 69th into battle at the first battle of Bull Run. Bull Run, Manassas, if you nasty. Um, the war was thought to be a quick occurrence. The people actually showed up. I can't imagine this, where we would show up and watch a battle that we'd like put out a picnic blanket. And we'd have something to eat and invite the family out to watch the Union. It's just the, good entertainment, though. Right, right. Well, it's the oh, first major land engagement. Guy. Now, they thought the war was going to be over in a single afternoon. So they were just like, oh, we're going to go watch this weird thing here real quick. Uh, Lee's Army of Northern Virginia takes a decisive victory that day. The 69th, uh, under Maher in command of Corcoran, rather. Uh, the 69th saw some of the heaviest fighting that day. Corcoran himself gets captured by the Confederates. The Irish Brigade now has a new commander, Thomas Francis Maher. So following the defeat at Bull Run, Maher forms what would become known as the Irish Brigade. He would go on to uh, host several speaking tours in heavily Irish-populated cities, Boston. And he implored the Irish to join the cause of the Union. Maher would soon earn a commission as a brigadier general in the army. He also led the Irish Brigade into battle at Fair Oaks. The Union won a decisive victory, and the reputation of the 69th as fearsome fighters continued to grow. These are, uh, these are angry boys now, okay? You went ahead and you pissed off the Irish. They've been fighting their entire lives, so now you're just getting a concentrated effort from them. And uh, I don't think people were ready for them. They kind of – they were used as cannon fodder a little bit early on in the war, if I recall. Right, Dad? Yeah, well, that's uh, – you know, again, the same discriminations that they had in, in Ireland, they're still facing in the United States um, to the point where now they're, they're – forming this Irish brigade and there was one regiment that came out of Massachusetts that were going to be put in with the Irish uh, and the Irish brigade and they weren't having it because again now it's like being forced to to uh, soldier with the lowly Irish that they weren't going to have that um, so they were actually removed that uh, that uh, Massachusetts regiment was removed and a different regiment was put in from Pennsylvania who was again predominantly Irish so they're they're clustering all the Irish into into this one brigade um, they they were fierce fighters um, no doubt um, at the uh, at Fair Oaks uh, again at um, 
um, Gain, the Battle of Gaines Mill, uh, Chickahominy River, uh, they were rushed in as reinforcements um, and was considered by historians probably the Maher's uh, highlight of that. But they were also, also commemorated by uh, with a print, famous print. You want to take a, a weird spin here for a second, Cahoons? Uh, when you hear Christmas carols and you sing, uh, what I forgot the name of the song, but it's a uh, um, the lithograph prints of uh, yeah by Courier and Ives. Yeah, uh, well, Courier and Ives makes this uh, print, if you will, of Maher leading on horseback a bayonet charge, looking like a real badass American hero. So that sells well for the uh, the recruitment efforts as well. So it is up here. Uh, you can find. I'll put that picture up probably for. Um, on the Instagram account, if I can. Is that it? That's it. That's that's it. Curry it sure is. It's the Battle of the uh, Fair Oaks in Virginia. Now, uh, we yeah, again, in, in the early part of the war, this was all about um, glory and honor and everything else, and that's why you know, Kevin was saying before that you know people were coming out of Washington in carriages with picnic baskets and everything else For to watch the first battle. For the glory of Ireland, right? Oh, what? right. Um, For the U.S. <laughs> you see how bad things were before football. There's actually a song on the the Irish Volunteer CD. It's called Maher is leading the Irish Brigade, and right. if you read through the lyrics, it sounds just kind of like a Hey, come on, join the fight. Well, that's it. It was a recruitment. The whole song sounds Absolutely. like that. All right. It was a recruitment song to get that them to, to convince. It was the I Want You poster before the I right. Want You poster much. was invented. <laughs> to convince the immigrant Irish. And again, Maher, it's a great uh, speechifier. I mean, he was, you know, lauded in, uh, in, the, in uh, the university and everything else with the debate team and everything else. Are you saying he had the gift of gab? He had the Dad. gift of gab, like uh, <laughs> some other people we know sitting around this table. But. Um, yeah, then. we have too much gift of gab right now. We're at the ninety-minute mark, and we got We're just at the Civil War. <laughs> oh man! So this, sorry, Mom. You like them about an hour long. That's what my mother. Uh, she told me that she enjoys the show, but she likes to listen when it's about an hour uh, long. Sorry, Ma. All right, we got to keep it moving here. Yeah, Carrie just called out of work. So, <laughs> did you really? No. Okay. <laughs> She's thinking about I it. I cannot. <laughs> no. It's gonna be a gonna be a little late. All right, we'll move this along. But yeah, there was definitely discrimination on this side um, as far as the way the the Irish were considered, and uh, we'll see in later battles that they took horrendous uh, um, casualty kits because they were always put in the forefront. They were the the point of the spear, if you will, into the battle. Well, who's gonna who's gonna have their spear point blunted? Now, Mars is just crazy enough too to make this shit work, right, Dad? Right. Well, yeah. So, He's a hero. He's developing this reputation. So they are being used as cannon fodder. They're getting hit with a lot of stuff. They're seeing a lot of action. Uh, but Maher is also relatively successful in the battlefield, starting to build up a reputation for himself. They try putting him in charge of a non-Irish brigade. So now he's going to come uh, – regular old Anglo-Saxon good boys from Rhode Island are going to come under the command of this boy from Ireland. Right. And it does not work. You know why? Not because he was Irish and then, you know, there's – oh, there's not going to – you can't understand the dude. You know? You ever talk to Irish people? You start to not be able to understand him because the accent gets a little too heavy. Well, his accent wasn't that strong, though, because was that, was, that was beaten out of him by the Jesuits. I guarantee <laughs> you, I guarantee the same way that I don't think I have a New Jersey accent until I'm a couple of shots too deep. And then all of a sudden, I'm talking about getting a fucking cup of coffee and a bay. Coffee? Okay. You know? All right. I guarantee so in the midst of a passionate speech, you might start to sound a little bit more like home. Yeah, now yeah, but, you guys but, but, all pretend like you can understand it. You've never been yelled at by uh, a girl in an Irish accent before, all right? I have. It's not. It gets ugly fast. I don't even know what I was doing. What but. were you saying, though, Larry? Sorry about that. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's it. it was, you know, they were they were put into the forefront for a lot of these battles, uh, and 
it really became to the point where, all right, hey, we don't mind fighting for you guys, but we're getting wiped out here. The, the losses were just horrendous. Um, I, I pulled some numbers, too. By yeah. The way. Well, you can go into the numbers. I got some numbers, too, but oh boy, go for it. Oh, no, no. I was going to say uh, leading into that. Now, um, this gets a little bit crazy here, too. Uh, fun time to be Irish in America. Maher is in charge of the Irish Brigade, and then he's uh, very proud to be serving for a time under the, uh, the direction of the Army of the Potomac's general, George B. McClellan. All right, so now you got an Irishman in charge of everything. That's kind of a good feeling. Only problem is McClellan's fighting too defensive of a war, and Lincoln fires him shortly after. Yeah, and, and McClellan starts to have the same feelings um, that Maher had, that um, initially McClellan was all about, you know, go for it and charge and everything else, but then when you start to read the casualty lists, uh, he's, he takes a pause on that, and then well, maybe we ought to... Uh, just capitulate and let the Southerners go their way, but that, that was later in the war. But Ready for your Jersey tie-in, sir? Sure. Uh, New Jersey is the only state to never vote for Lincoln. That, that is correct. Now, George B. McClellan ran against Lincoln uh, after the war, so when Lincoln won re-election, um, he was running against uh, George B. McClellan, meaning that the state of New Jersey voted for George B. McClellan for president over Abraham Lincoln. Uh, so, as a just collective state, we were the um, we were the American losers for that election. Well, there's also a weird thing too, where uh, part of New Jersey is below the Mason-Dixon line, which will fuck with some people's heads. Yeah, take a look at that one. Next chance you get. Uh, we were talking earlier about the losses, though. The brigade sees its worst casualties at the Sunken Road, also known as the Bloody Lane, in the Battle of Antietam, one of the bloodiest battles of the entire American Civil War. Maher lost 540 men that day. All right. Maher was injured falling off of his horse. Rumors started to come out that he was actually drunk during the battle. And now all of a sudden they start alluding that uh, the Irishman was also drunk during other engagements, such as in Fredericksburg. Uh, they also allude that he was drunk at the Battle of Chancellorsville. All of a sudden um, they start leading more and more criticism of his ability to lead men because they're saying this dude likes to have a few. Now right? is this kind of where the start of that – Stereotype comes into play, or is no? It, they were no, pretty good at having that. Or we were, or we kind <laughs> yeah. of established that ourselves early on. That's, that's long before. Uh, yeah, that that's. Well, I think if I was seeing what he was seeing on the battlefield, I'd probably hit the bottle too. Yeah, yeah I got to get through this somehow. Excellent point, Kara. That if uh, you're taking on those kinds of uh, casualty figures, um, I'd be down. You might have a, Jameson you, too. You might have yeah. a few pops yourself. Yeah. Also, the Civil War and also known for having more people die from disease than actually seeing in combat because water is so uh, contaminated and polluted that it's actually safer at this time to be drinking alcohol. So I'm not drinking a Dos Equis right now, guys. I'm just taking care of my body. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Saving yourself. Um, the, uh, the the casualties. Or again, were just horrendous that um, at the Battle of Antietam, uh, about 60% of the soldiers of the 63rd and the 69th New York regiments lost almost 600 men in all were killed, 60% um, of the guys. Uh, the next battle they go into was at Fredericksburg. Again, they were the spear point they were led up against. Uh, they had to go uphill across this open field going uphill where the Confederates are behind a stone wall. And just send them volley after volley after volley that the the dead were were piling up in heaps. 
that the only way to escape the, the withering gunfire was to take your dead comrades and pile them up like cordwood and hide behind the dead bodies and hope for hope that you're going to survive till nightfall. And also, uh, and then the Fredericksburg num- was the Irish Brigade of the Confederacy seeing action against the uh, Irish uh, Brigade of the Union. So it was Irish on Irish fighting there was, in another there was country's often, conflict. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, Damn. On July of uh, 1863, now at the Battle of Gettysburg, um, there's about 320 of the Irish Brigade remaining. 530 of those guys were killed. So by the end of the uh, the end of the war, you're you're down to a couple of hundred guys that started out with with 1,200 guys. Um, I would have a couple of pops myself with, uh, and not only is it the casualties, but you know these guys. You know, a lot of them are, were close friends. Um, friends, family. Right. Uh, Cousins one of them, you ran away with to join the military together. One was a, a, a young uh, young officer that was the uh, uh, great nephew of uh, of Emmett, Robert Emmett, who was another Irish nationalist back in the day. And you see this guy die, right? Other guys, you see your head, you know, or you're holding, you're holding your best friend and watching his life pour away. That uh, and you're seeing these. You you were the guy by your speeches that rallied all these guys to rec- to recruit them and get them t- involved with this whole Irish Brigade for the glory and honor of the Irishmen and to, to prove their mettle. Uh, and now you're Sent watching all these death. guys yeah to their death. You you were the one to talk them into coming, <laughs> and now this yeah, it'll they're be not great going afterwards. home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Maybe They're not going home. Uh, well, it's also the a major appeal of them uh, fighting under Maher was that Maher was saying that afterwards he would help. Oh, cops are coming, care. Sorry. Mm. It's okay. Um, Sorry about that. Had Great sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> Super yeah. real. You're late to Home Depot. Uh, <laughs> so also leave whenever you have to, care. We'll just give you a hug or something like that. But um, one of the other major appeals too was that if you were going to fight for the uh, union cause – Maher was going to find a way to have this Irish revolution afterwards. So it's like, all right, get it on the ground floor of this here thing, guys. So these are a lot of people that are nationalists that are involved in just another country's conflict as a means to an end for their own gain. You know right. what I mean? Not their own gain per se, but their own cause. So they're they're motivated by that. Now, so uh, he's like trying to – he's basically trying to prep for Thanos while, <laughs> while assembling the Avengers. You are good at these, my friend. Uh, the brigade, as you said, Dad, had been 4,000 strong just a year earlier, is now reduced to a few hundred combat-ready men. Maher resigns from the Army on May 15, 1863. Uh, I'm going to ask Kerry because she's been to the battlefield with me before. May 15, 1863. May, then June, then July. July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, 1863. Little town in Pennsylvania. Oh, I think I know this one. <laughs> I think I know where you're going with and this. you've been there. Uh, Ashburn. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Gettysburg. Gettysburg. Uh, nice shout out to Cousin Pammy who listens. Um, no, uh, you're absolutely correct, Carrie. Gettysburg, the Battle of Gettysburg, which is the turning point of the Civil War. Uh, up until this point, it's not exactly going great for the Union. And Thomas Francis Maher uh, resigns from the military before uh, the Battle of Gettysburg. Had he stayed on, he could have been involved with the end of the war and possibly changed the way that uh, people view him. But following his resignation, we're skipping over a little bit here because we have to get to the mystery that we end on because the mystery part's the best. All right, so shut up and keep going. So following his resignation, Maher is now appointed as the secretary of the Montana Territory. Upon arrival, he winds up becoming the acting governor of Montana because the people what, – what's the deal with that? How does he wind up falling into the governorship? 
Well, uh, we kind of skipped over a little bit. So real quick, he was married uh, on uh, Van Diemen's Island. Uh, Catherine Bennett. Right. He escapes. He gets. He finally finds his way to New York. She then escapes as well. Somehow or other, money was filtered in or something, but she manages to get to London. The father-in-law meets her in London, brings her to Ireland. That's when you were talking about the 20,000 people are there to meet her at, at the train and serenading her and everything else. She then gets to New York very briefly prior to the Civil War, then comes back to Ireland, and then... Uh, shortly thereafter, she dies in Ireland. Uh, Maher remarries uh, for a second time to an old, old, very well-established Protestant family. Uh, so now here he is. He's remarried. He's got a wife. He's, the Civil War is over. He's no longer uh, employed anywhere. And through family influences, if you will, his wife's family's influence, he gets appointed to secretary of Montana um, by the president. Um, he travels out to Montana thinking that he's going to go into the, the governor's mansion, if you will, uh, as a secretary to the governor. Uh, only Montana isn't quite, <laughs> isn't quite what it should be. Uh, when he arrives there, um, the, the Governor's mansion is a log cabin. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, slight expectations. It is it's big sky country. It is absolutely <laughs> the wild west. Um, uh, you've got all kinds of factions going on. Um, a lot of a lot of strife. Although the Civil War is now ended, here you have this guy coming from New York. He's Irish, so already that's that's a negative. He's the a, sheriff's coming, and he's a yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, he arrives. Um, there's a lot of political infighting. There's a lot of uh, other things going on. The Indians are attacking uh, and killed um, one of the trailblazers, one of the uh, Bosman. Um, this guy really seems to just encounter a little bit of everything throughout this era right. of history. So he frustrates a lot of people. <laughs> he is uh, appointed by a Republican president as secretary um, of the, to the governor. He arrives in, in Montana only to find out that the vast majority of the people there, or not the vast majority, but there's a very strong faction of Southern Democrats who served in the Civil War. So now you're telling me this secretary uh, to the governor, who is this Yankee uh, war hero, is now going to be large in charge. As soon as he arrives there, the sitting governor decides, hey, great. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to make you the acting governor. I'm out of here. And he goes back to Ohio. He, he just had enough. Congratulations. There's also, Here's a state no one gives two fucks about. Right. There's also, territory at the time, too. Ter territory. A territory. Um, so then there's also a very strong faction of visual. Well, they're calling them vigilantes, but um, um, they're better known as the Ku Klux Klan, who are now um, riding on top of uh, the newly freed slaves. So and the Indians are thing. There's this dude just can't escape people there was, with pointy hats. <laughs> there was gold discovered uh, in 1862 um, in in the Montana Territory. So there's a 
huge influx of people coming in there. So, I mean, it is the absolute Wild West going on out there. And uh, he doesn't make friends with anybody. Um, his own party, um, his, of course, the, the, the Democrats are against him because he's appointed by a, a, by a Republican. Um, it, it's, just, it's just a mess. Um, where are we going here? Um, well, he's now in charge of the, this part of the territory. He's pissed off the Republicans. He's pissed off the Democrats. The settlers who are not political people are kind of, you know, torn on him, if you will. He also pissed off the Native Americans while he's out there. Right. It's one of the things he did. He's just was, going on a tour of pissing yeah, people the hell off. Yeah, it's not going good. Tries, um, <laughs> tries to lead a, a militia unit against the uh, the Indians. and The that, Blackfoot tribe, as I recall. The, yeah, and that, that doesn't work out for him. Um, uh, William Sherman is now in charge of the Army. He sends um, um, guns and, uh, and ammunition kind of a thing. So he's leading this a group of militia men to go pick up these guns. Um, oh, I'm sorry. In the, in the mean, <laughs> I got to find it. In the meantime, um, we take back what we said. Death wish coffee. Yeah. There, there was, um, while he's the acting governor, um, there's a guy that is uh, tried and convicted as a murderer for shooting down uh, somebody in a saloon over an argument, kind of a thing. Um, and then is he, the guy, the, the convicted felon, asks for um, a review of his case. Mar is also a lawyer, so he reviews the case as the acting governor and overturns the case and frees the guy, right? The very next day, that guy that was convicted and now freed, the very next day he's hung by vigilantes, <laughs> and there's a note. There's a note put on his body that, to the effect, says, "And um, this will be the governor. If, the, if if he ever tries this again, the next guy to be hung was going to be the governor." That uh, mm. you know, uh, that's not the exact quote, but uh, we don't take basically too the message. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> if we say he's guilty, oh, no. he's guilty, and he is going to serve his uh, his sentence one way or the other. And if the governor tries to overturn that again. It's going to be the governor. It's going to be stretched. <laughs> well, um, uh, when he makes a, b a bunch of enemies here, because I, I do want to get to um, – I don't want this to be our longest episode yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. It's getting there. Well, you know what the problem is? It's it's too good of a topic because he's very fascinating as a dude. We tried covering the penal laws and the uh, of the Irish Brigade itself and everything. But now what makes Maher a loser here uh, more in particular than anything else is his uh, – the way his life ends. So when you escape from a penal colony – and you're an Irish revolutionary, and then you become an Irish-American hero, and you fight in the Civil War and help uh, preserve the Union, you would think you'd get a more um, auspicious end to your story. But Maher would disappear off the side of a steamboat on July 1st, 1867. His body was never recovered. His death and disappearance remains a mystery. Some suspect foul play. Others say he was just drunk and fell overboard. Sounds like the news from about Carnival lately. Oh, someone fell overboard. Uh, they were drunk. Yep, it's yeah, you're right. Oh, my, my <laughs> darling wife fell overboard. I just don't know how I'll go on with yeah. myself. Uh, but yeah, man, so he goes ahead and disappears. And now, the book that you read, what's the, the give credit to the author here for the, the book that you read. It's The Immortal Irishman by... Timothy. By Timothy Egan. Okay, The Immortal Irishman by Timothy Egan. Uh, good book. You're giving it to me here next because I, I want to learn more about the ins and outs of this guy's life. 
But you read that book. I scrolled through Wikipedia, as someone pointed out on the iTunes reviews. <laughs> uh, but uh, they talk about it a little bit. There is some legitimate uh, cause for concern with foul play being uh, the reason why he was uh, – how Thomas Francis Maher disappears. So talk to me about that for a second. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people that uh, you could point the finger at it saying, well, you're probably the guys that killed him. Did he fall overboard? You know, again, it was never, the body was never recovered, although there was a body that was recovered out of the river by a prospector, a lone prospector, like 30 years later. The body is now petrified, but there was a, a bullet hole through between the eyes of this petrified body that they fished out of the river right around the area where he supposedly fell where overboard. he could have ended yeah. up by the way the 30 boat years before the that. boat wasn't underway the boat was tied up at the dock at the time when when uh he supposedly fell overboard drunk um so you know i don't i don't know how that works but uh just not uh, like they hit a speed bump and, oh, my bad, I fell over. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, this petrified body that was fished out of the river 30 years later, this prospector um, takes it to some other guy. And then whether he's a huckster or not, but he then takes You want to see a dead body? This <laughs> petrified body dresses it up in a Union General's uniform and says that it's uh, Mar and charges people 25 cents to look at the... Look the at first the Ripley's, by. believe it or not. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> it. That's it. Yeah, maybe it was Ripley. I don't know. There's an odd um, history of things like that happening. And then he starts True. touring this uh, petrified body around to uh, to make some bucks off of that. And then supposedly he was going to ship it to the Smithsonian to verify that it was uh, Mar, but um, the Smithsonian has no record of that of them ever receiving uh, So the body just disappeared? Body. So, yeah, the body just disappeared. Just so you know, that's and, what Carrie and I have agreed. That's what we're going to do with you. And the guy <laughs> dressed me up in a general's uniform? We're supposed to wow. tell him that. We're going to say, do you want to see General Blackjack Pershing? <laughs> Preserved here. There you Ignore go. his Yankees hat. <laughs> I don't even um, want to know what the hell the plan is for me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, it, 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 this poor guy, uh, you know, all his life, he was fighting for the rights of others, right back from his native land in Ireland, um, escapes um, from a penal colony off, off the coast of uh, Australia, goes into New York, um, raises troops to fight for the preservation of the Union, sees a lot of his best friends just annihilated in battle because uh, the military mind at that time was like, well, send in the Irish. I mean, you know, there's a great line in Braveheart where the English king um, is asked, you know, do we send the archers over? We shoot the arrows at the, at the Scots, at, at um, Wallace. And his response was, no, arrows cost money, send in the Irish mercenaries. Well, it was the same, same kind of an attitude during the Civil War that, you know, the, the Irish became cannon fodder, um, that uh, we can always get more Irishmen. But uh, um, he then is, you know, a, a war hero, really, uh, and is sent out to Montana and put into another really bad. And he was hated by so many different factions because he was still working for um, for the common guy that, you know, he didn't want the Indians to be mistreated. He didn't want the miners and, and everybody else to be mistreated. Um, 
you know, that this guy was wrongfully accused of murdering somebody, so he stays his execution and overturns the thing. The guy gets hung, and then by the vigilantes anyhow. So, I mean, it's just... So what's that tell you, mm. right? Mind your business. Everything he touches <laughs> dies. That's right. Yeah. Well, he does have a, a reverse King Midas. Everything he touches turns to shit. Um, I was going to Montana territory. I, I was going to make a much shittier reference, but he's like a shitty Mary Poppins. He just pops in somewhere, <laughs> doesn't fix anything, and then dips. L- legendary picture, though. Now I do picture him uh, coming down with the umbrella. That's hysterical. Um, <laughs> just a man with a mustache coming down here. Now Thomas Francis Meyer, fascinating guy here. Did, Dad, did you have anything else we had? Because Kerry's got to go to work here, and the the Kahuna's missing cartoons. Yeah, I know. Uh, now I guess that's pretty much it. In in a nutshell, I mean, we could go on forever with this guy, and obviously we almost did go on forever. But uh, we're go at an hour fifty. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Death Wish Coffee, for uh, sponsoring this episode inadvertently. <laughs> Um, I want to say thank everybody who's listening. I apologize for the longer episode on this one. This counts as our uh, St. Patrick's Day, you know. It's a but, special, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a special. And you know what? Uh, we're being long-winded today, but who's more long-winded than the Irish? When you really think about it, <laughs> so fascinating guy. I've had a, 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 a true interest in him from the early onset of knowing about him. So getting to do this episode with you was fantastic for me. Uh, Carrie, I want to say thank you so much. Uh, I apologize to uh, uh, your department head or whoever it is you have to answer to at work. Uh, Kahuna, Kahuna, I want to say thank you so much for uh, giving us the extended time here, my friend. Hey, no we'll, problem, we'll man. I only missed like one or two cartoons. It's all good. <laughs> That's right. Mike and Ming over to Shared Universe. Thank you guys so much. Please, if you guys want to try, uh, you want to do a podcast, don't just come support these guys. They're great people here. Lawrence Patrick Burke, what do you got? No, I was going to say uh, we want to hear where you're going to be next. Well, I've got my dates coming up, uh, so this episode will come out afterwards. I'm actually very excited. Uh, April 19th and 20th, I'm going to be featuring for my friend Lynn Coplitz. I got approved the other day. Uh, all four shows at Gotham Comedy Club in New York City. So please come out and see me. You hear that, Ming? I'm finally playing Gotham, and it's not because of Kevin Smith. All right, yeah. Ming? You hear me? <laughs> but uh, very excited, guys. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. Uh, check us out on Instagram. It's at American Loser Podcast. Check me out at KB Burke Sucks. Twitter, uh, Facebook is KB Burke. Uh, Instagram is uh, at KB Burke Sucks. But just check me out, guys. I- I'm having fun here. I don't want to work excavation the rest of my life. Please help me. Uh, but like we said, from Ireland to England to France to Tasmania to New Zealand to New York City to Governor of Montana. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Thomas Francis Maher, American Loser. Thank you. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. born.